When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth Shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make Shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. This is Irish Illustrated Insider brought to you by Anderson, Augustino, and Keller, attorneys at law with offices in South Bend, Indiana, serving the local community's legal needs with a diverse and innovative group of lawyers. Let their team be your edge on legal matters. Contact the lawyers at Anderson, Augustino, and Keller at 574-288-1510 or visit their website at aaklaw.com. Guys, Nordin wins uh, 49 to 16. I, I think by most accounts, a pretty solid performance. There was the the typical lull, I guess, that we became accustomed to last year with the offense in the middle of the game. But, you know, they started fast. They finished fast. We're going to obviously talk about everybody that, that we thought played well and some of the guys that, that, that didn't play well. But by and large, and Pete, you've said it, both you guys have said it, you know, you, when you start out well in the first game, it usually is uh, a sign of good things to come. Yeah, I think that has to be the most encouraging thing that, I don't know, sets the tone for everything else. I mean, it's not only the, the fact that they played well in an opener based on the last seven years should not only be encouraging, it should basically color every other bit of analysis that you have of this team or how you feel about the season in general because this was, it was not 2012 against Navy nor was it 2015 in that opener against Texas. But I would probably rank it third yeah. uh, comfortably in terms of quality of the opener. So if that's the case, then you know, you're looking at an, a 9-3 and three type regular season uh, if you base it just on the Temple performance. Um, that, that should make every Notre Dame fan feel really good today. I thought there was a lot more important than the score and even how they got there was some stuff I think can carry over during when they're playing better teams because there's a different animal coming in next week, just a different level of athlete. Uh, uh, the, hey, the, it's a bulldog. Yeah, that's, that's an owl. That's, exactly, that's also true. It's a dog, actually, <laughs> from the south. But, uh, like for instance, a fresh running back coming in when the starter is carrying the load. I mean, you, Dexter, by the time Dexter Williams came in, they won't do this again, but there was three minutes left in the quarter, and he just looks like the fastest guy in the field because he hadn't been touched. I mean, he'd run down the field a couple times on yeah. special teams. I think they have, and this isn't including Alizé Mack, they have a couple senior tight ends that Wimbush trusts. That's a great crutch for a rookie quarterback is having tight ends to trust. Uh, and another great crutch is being able to run the ball and use play action rather than what I think could end up being a weakness, one that doesn't have to matter, but I'm not sure... Dropping back and doing one, two, three is going to be something we see in the passing right. game this year, but you don't have to have that either. Right. Well, to your point about being able to rely on those backups, you know, Martini and Morgan obviously didn't probably played maybe their worst game that they're going to play this year, uh, but you had Tavon Coney that came in and played really, really well, I thought. Um, Drew Tranquil, I think, is a difference maker there on the edge. He's very, very disruptive. 
He didn't get his stats were nothing. But when I watched the game live, but, I wrote him down like four times for stuffs I thought he got. Right. Somebody else. Yeah. Got it, so you can't. You. you it can't, wasn't it. Yeah. Yeah, there. There may be times where you know he dives for a tackle and doesn't make it, but he's disruptive in the process. And if you're playing eleven together, then that that will show up. Asmar Blau, the third to last play of the game, made the textbook best hit of the game. Just absolutely exploded into a tackle. That's a guy that can play that's mobile. So, I mean, to your point, some guys that didn't play well, Elizé Mack, Nick Wisher steps up. And I, yeah. and I do think that that's a real positive sign. Yeah, I think they showed more depth, uh, certainly maybe more defensively than offensively. Offensively, I think we knew they had a lot of guys. Um, Nick Wisher was a surprise, which I think even Nick Wisher admitted he was a surprise after the game. But defensively, I, you know, for... For Tavon Coney and Asmar Bilal to be debatably the most productive linebackers they had on Saturday, but they're four and five on the depth chart is really encouraging. Now, I think some fans would take that as like, well, they should be starting. I'm not going to go that far. I think they both have a, maybe a bigger role to play against Georgia based on matchups than they did against Temple. But that's just, it falls under the good problem to have category. Um, you need more than just your starting lineup to be productive. And I thought Coney, Bilal, you know, Crawford was okay, did some good things. He's kind of a starter because he's a nickelback. Um, you know, Devin Studd still, I thought, played okay uh, at a minimum. And then a lot of the younger defensive linemen flash here or there. Especially Aquara, Tagovailoa. I mean, Kurt Heinisch got a lot of work. All that stuff Trump is... Betty's kind of a starter. Yeah, all yeah. that stuff is just good news for Notre Dame. I thought Jay Hayes was productive. Yeah. He was he was mobile. He was good, you know, horizontally. Um, you, you know, you mentioned Trump Betty. The play, I, you know, to me, that's the best I've ever seen Jonathan Bonner play. Um you know, now again, it's going to be a lot more difficult. We probably won't. If, I, if we say that after the Georgia game, then it's really, really significant. Yeah, I hadn't but, really thought about that, but it's important that Jonathan Bonner play really yeah, well against Temple, yeah. actually, now that you mentioned uh, You know, Dalen Hayes is a weapon. You understand why he considers himself to be a, like an outside linebacker or a drop end because he's certainly capable of doing that. He almost came up with an interception. That gives him great flexibility. He doesn't have to rush all the time. And he's certainly athletic enough to drop into short coverage and, and make a play on a ball. So, you know, I, I I mean, I thought the defensive front seven, yeah, the two linebackers didn't play very well. We know Niles Morgan's a good football player, and I believe that Greer Martini's a very good football player. So, you know, you can't, like, to I think we have a question about Elze Mack. Well, we got to give up on Elze Mack. I mean, he's an, he's an incredible talent. He he just I, he just got caught up in the moment and didn't play a very good game. But you're going to have that. Not everybody's going to be on point in the first game of the year. For whatever reason, he was a ball of nerves or just over something. Just he didn't look right. I mean, just he eagerness, yeah. anxiety, whatever you want to call it. You know, I mean, you know how he's been chomping at the bit then for you two start, years. You start to press because you don't come up with the pass you could have had on the sideline. Right. Or you're going to get hit anyway. You might well, as well missed get a, it. He it's, missed a, a kickout block on a, a throw to Cam Smith, and then I think it was the very next play. Wimbush had to realign him, so his head was all over the place. But we know he's a talent, and I'm sure you know when a, when a quality athlete has a game like that. They almost always come back and are focused and have a good game because we know that they're capable of doing that. The offensive line overall, uh, Tim, I think you you guys both have probably watched the game more in detail than I have to this point, but um, how did you feel like Hainsey and Kramer held up? 
you know, I mean, it was kind of hit and miss. We know what their skill sets are. We know that Hainsey's better as a pass blocker and Kramer because I believe he's a guard is better as a as a run blocker. Um, I, I let me just say this: I think Hainsey has the best long term potential at that position. He's not upperclassman strong right now. Um, you know, I thought as the game wore on, Hainsey became better and they stayed with him more. Uh, Kramer is just, man, in space, just does not look comfortable to me. So, but they don't, they're not going to move bars back over to right tackle. I agree with that. I think they feel like they have something in Hainsey, and that's why I asked Brian Kelly that question on Sunday. Um, you know, I, Harry Heastan doesn't like to alternate offensive linemen. They didn't even right. get another yeah, yeah. Eichenberg didn't even get in the game in a 49-16 game. Maybe that had a lot to do with Wimbush staying in the game. I get that. But, uh, you know, I don't know that I have it. I'm, I, I'm not going to come to any conclusion about either one of them after this one game. Uh, there's too, I, To be completely honest, there's too much for me to watch for me to focus in on that one position every snap. But it is not, as Pete said earlier about the linebackers, a good short-term problem to have. They're not both starting because they're both so impressive in camp that they have no, to find I, a way to get them both out there. I agree, and I did. I don't think Brian Kelly said no, that. No, I mean, just, they're trying it's, it's to the find the answer. Right. No, I, are, are I, I agree with that, and it's it's certainly not an ideal situation going against George's defense and George's yeah. defensive line. Um, but, it, but it is what it is. I understand why they continue to do what they do. Uh, I wouldn't give up on either one of them. I, th- I think it's, under the circumstances, though, it's not ideal. I think it's the right approach to take. Kramer had a really nice drive block on Josh Adams' touchdown run. He was one of the four that just, I mean, That he can do. Owned. Yeah. yeah I mean, in, in short spaces, in small spaces, if it's just snap contact, he's pretty damn good. Hey, hopefully he'll be doing that 40 times a game. Yeah. Because that's, yeah, it. it I like, I mean, we love Hainsey's pass pro in practice. It's just, it's going to be... He's going to have a tough time physically if he's not completely 100% on point technique against Georgia because they're just coming at him in a different way. The first thing that has to happen with Hainsey is he needs to be comfortable playing. You know, any anybody that's played in a first game of the year, regardless of what sport at what any level that you played, there's always that it's the first game adjustment. And I thought that, you know, especially with it being his first game in college, I thought that he was kind of stuck in mud at times just because of the motions and your feet don't move. Yeah, yeah. Once he gets comfortable and can can use the footwork that we think that he has, then he'll be better. I do think, I think long-term, despite giving away a ton of strength and, and obviously not being the run blocker that Kramer is, he has more long-term potential at that position. Well, I think Kramer would naturally move inside, don't you? Yeah, I mean, I, I'm not... Sold on Hainsey being a long-term tackle either, because only because I think he could be a great center. Um, I mean, as a as the heir apparent to Sam Mustafer down the road, that wouldn't shock me either. I mean, it's not like Nick Martin came in here was a center right away. He was a tackle. No, but I, I, his his natural pass blocking. Can he get big enough? Maybe is the, yeah. 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 I, I, you know, I mean, most freshmen redshirt and, and pile on weight and and you know get yeah. stronger all year. He doesn't. He won't have that luxury because he'll be in season. So, but I think his just natural ability to pass block on the edge, I think it'll be difficult for them to move him out of the tackle spot long term. Yeah, I think it would require somebody else to come in and be better, which is fine because he's pretty good at it. Um, yeah, but I can. I mean, I can burn. I don't know who that would be. Yeah, it's not. It's not. <laughs> Probably, it might be somebody in high school right now. <laughs> um, Wimbush. Overall, I thought he played really well. Uh, you know, there were a couple of times where 
he could have thrown the ball away instead of taking a hit. Um, I will definitely be tracking how many shots he takes over the course of the year. Uh, you know, I think that we we might have talked about this in our last podcast, but I think we wanted to see him six to eight carries. He ended up with yeah. 12. Now two of those are sacks. Um, so 10 carries. Do you want Brandon Wimbush to take 120 carries this year? Forget the sacks. I would say absolutely not. No way. Um, yeah. But I do think you you saw a little bit about when he turns the ball, turns it upfield. Oh, man. He is so far superior to Zaire, Kaiser, anybody else they've had here, maybe anybody who's been here in a long, long time. That, that is exciting to watch. It's going to be very difficult, I think, for the offense to, like, resist using because it looks really good. I think he'll get used to even – as games progress in September, the third, well, it's probably three reads for him on play action. There's deep, there's middle, there's, I think he gets used to the check down read and he doesn't have to run all 12 times. And Georgia's seen him run all over the place. They're, they're going to be, I mean, they're going to be ready for it. He's going to have that option to check to just start running. That's when quarterbacks that are mobile kill you. When they start moving, someone commits and they find somebody else. Right. It's not just taking off all the time. And right. He's, uh, he's a smart kid. He had interception. It was a rookie interception, and he's going to have more of them, but I, it's not like he doesn't understand what happened. Yeah, he could have had that pick six in the midway or five minutes right. into the game, right. which would have you know, changed the complexion. It would have changed the way we looked at the entire game that he played. But I didn't. I mean, I didn't have really any trouble with him running, except when it reached the midway point of the fourth quarter when you're up three scores and it's really not necessary for you to put yourself at, at risk. But... He was start, it was like he was starting to feel pretty good about himself running around out there, and so he, he went for it a few times, but you don't need him zigzagging you know, downfield, running through, uh, running through blocks and tackles. Uh, but, you know, he, he, uh, this, the question I want to ask him, I put this in the, in the tail of the tape. You know, you're a young quarterback. You're, you're, you're extremely gifted and talented. He does have great accuracy. He can put the ball in a, in a, in a tight window. But when you're that young and you're making your first start and you're in your first starts in college, where, where do you draw the line between I can fit that ball in that window and, damn, I don't want to make a mistake in my first game as a starter? You know, yeah, I, I would think that that has to be going through the head of a, of a first-time starter or competitor who knows he's good but also wants to avoid that big mistake early in his career. I mean, you're talking mostly about the wisher Touchdown or a different? No, just play. in general. I mean, he tried to force one to to uh, to EQ. He tried to he tried to force two in a row to, to Mac. He put it in there on the Mac one. Yeah, that's why I'm saying. Hit him in the hands. That, <laughs> okay, well, yeah. see, that's yes. what I'm saying. Yeah. That I would think that you know he he's got to be. Look, two years from now, he's not going to be ultra conscious right. of avoiding right. interceptions. Yeah. He's gonna he's just gonna go and play at this stage of his career as an athlete, being in that situation. I would think you're kind of conflicted. I wonder what goes through his head at this stage of his career. Yeah, I think there's, there's probably a lot going on up yeah, there. Yeah, oh my um, God. Before we get out of segment one, Chip Long, Mike Elko, you learn a lot about the coordinators on Saturday. You know, what, I guess, what do you sort of take away about the way things were structured? Uh, I Go ahead, Tim. I, uh, mean, I think I learned a ton. I did. I thought of, uh, Ironically, I thought of the first thing Mike Sanford ever said to me because they had a really good uh, red zone offense at Boise when he was there. He said, don't change who you are all the way down the field once you hit the red zone. There's no point in that. 
that's what Chip Long didn't do. He didn't change a thing when they got down there. If, if He might have tightened it up a little bit more, which I think everybody can kind of get behind unless you're playing an impenetrable wall like Alabama or something. Look, they will be able to score in the red zone. They're not going to do six out of six touchdowns all the time like they did Saturday. But if they run the ball and limit things for Wimbush to make mistakes, don't you have faith in them converting when they're down to third and three, third and four inside the 15-yard line? I mean, I think... It's the type of offense that will get it now, where in the past that was a pass, and it was an obvious pass, or it was quarterback power last year. And I, I think they have an identity now, and it is a power running game, and that will be the identity down there. It, it is, but, I mean, this is where the first opponent compared to the second opponent. Sure, I mean, that's sure. a very inexperienced Temple But uh, you don't want him line. throwing against Georgia's no, windows. No, ball. they did what yeah. they needed to do against Temple yeah. in that situation, and you don't coach... You coach the game that you're in, and, but I don't think it's going to be as easy to run in the red zone against Georgia. But I would still do it because I don't think you want to well, throw in the red zone against Georgia's passing windows with Wimbush having to read something, and that's a tough. You know, I agree, but you may, you know, you may get into second and nine, third yeah. and eight. So you know, it won't it won't be quite that easy. Georgia has a very good defensive line, one of the best, one of the best defensive fronts that Notre Dame will face this year. So it'll be a different animal. But I think I, you know, Elko. That's why I asked Brian Kelly about adjustments. Um, you know, they were getting, they were uh, being hurt by the 22 personnel. Drew Tranquil brought that up, two tight end, two running back. Um, they made the adjustment. They held, they gave up 207 yards in the, in the uh, first half and 123 in the second half. And of those 123 yards, five were on the ground. Yeah, so 16 carries, five yards. We saw an actual <laughs> coordinator make adjustments at halftime. Uh, and shut them down. And it was interesting. Who you got? I mean, Tranquil. Who else did you talk to? About? It was kind of like openly talking mat- about last. Year. Yeah, like matter of fact that Mike Elko was very calm at halftime. Said this is what we need to do, yeah. and they went out and did it. Yeah, and that was something the guys talked about last week. And Julian Julian Love was probably the best quote I got about it. Just about how Elko is. He's just. He, he hits that line of like demanding but not demeaning. Like mm-hmm. you never really heard him swear at the players. He'll give them crap sometimes, but then at the end he'll say, "Love school was like he'll like correct you and like kind of bust on you, and then they'd be like, no disrespect, and then he'll laugh and sort of lighten the mood." So I think the players really like playing for him. Um, I I want to talk more about the offensive side of the ball because I think that. For all the crap we gave Brian Van Gorder, justified, that the offensive coordinator and the offensive staff really gets off the hook way too easily ba- a, yeah. based on what Mike McGlinchey has said both during the week mm-hmm. and after the game that, like, hey, it's nice to have an offensive coordinator that says what he or means what he says. And when he says, we're going to rely on the offensive line, that yeah, we're actually going to do that, opposed to like drawing up these super complicated passing routes um, and not taking advantage of your biggest strengths. So I, I think the upgrade from whatever was happening last year to Chip Long has been a little bit understated by us. Uh, I agree. I think that's a great point. Season. I think that's a great point. He, he ended the, eventually ended the scrimmage a couple weeks ago saying they finally trust us to, to yeah. do what we need to do. And that's was pointed. Pretty clear. <laughs> I mean, and, and he's, he's he's kept up with it. Yeah. I mean, he said that Wednesday during the week. Well, he probably he doesn't like the all game. the crap he had to take for having a you know some miscues last year, and I'm sure yeah. it was part right. of it. Your right. your approach is part of it. You're, right. 
I'm sure he's sick of it. It's he's got prize athlete with great pride. They made up a nickname for how many times he flinched. So it's <laughs> yeah. you know that's you won't. I, I'm I, you bring me to my. This, we're gonna have a Georgia podcast. But you talked about you know they might have second and nine and third and eight. That's okay. You are a power running team. Oh, I, t- I don't they disagree with what D. you're saying. Let's find out. I agree. No, I, I totally agree. And if you're going to do it, you're going to do it with this offensive line, especially from right guard to left tackle. Yeah, I mean, this is a quote from McGlinchey just talking about the line and the way the offense is structured. This is on Saturday, so, and he said some version of this multiple times. But, like, that's something we haven't had in the last five years, so that's something we're taking a lot of pride in. We've worked hard at it. We want the game to go through us being the offensive line. Coach Long is giving us that opportunity. I mean, I think the implication is there without him saying that that the offensive line never had a chance to have the game go yeah. through it. Mm-hmm. And I talked to him about red zone being six for six, and his response was, "We should have been down there more than six times." So you know, I, they they had, I mean, they had a couple field goal opportunities or field goal drives yeah. that ended up being that ended up uh, being missed by by Yoon. And um, you know, I think that was the right attitude. Yeah, six for six was good, but we probably should have been down there eight times. Yeah. All right. Well, that's it for segment one, Irish Illustrated Insider. We've got questions from our readers and from the Twitter sphere after this. Welcome back to Irish Illustrated Insider, brought to you by Anderson, Augustino, and Keller, attorneys at law with offices in South Bend, Indiana, serving the local community's legal needs with a diverse and innovative group of lawyers. Let their team be your edge on legal matters. Contact the lawyers at Anderson, Augustino, and Keller at 574-288-1510 or visit their webpage at aaklaw.com. Questions from... Twitter and our readers, we're going to combine some of them. This is uh, a merging of <laughs> various ways to contact us. So we're going to wash ND and Logan. This is a, a combination of questions about the linebackers. John Logan wanted to know our assessment of Niles Morgan and Greer Martini. And wash ND wanted to know if we were surprised that Tavon Coney looked like the best linebacker on the field by far on Saturday. How do you see that shaping up, shaping up moving forward? I wouldn't say I was – I mean, I was more surprised that Morgan and Martini didn't play better than Coney played well. I mean, we've seen the great condition that Coney's in. And, by the way, Coney started twice as many games as Martini did last year. So it's not like he's an inexperienced player. He had a really good game, and I think he'll continue – I mean, that's a real positive sign. I think that outweighs the negatives with what we saw with Martini because Martini's a better football player than that. He played when he was young. He's smart. He's long. He's quick. He can play. Um, you know, why that happened to him, a senior, I don't, I don't really know. But it can happen to anybody uh, in the first game of the year when you get caught in the moment. So um, not surprised at Tavon Coney playing well because he's capable, and that's a good sign for not only this year, but next year when he's a no-doubt-about-it starter. I also think that it's a good matchup for Tavon Coney this coming week with Georgia's running game. I mean, Notre Dame needs Tavon Coney's strength and ability yeah. to play the run against Georgia. I don't. I don't think he's going to start. That would be an overreaction by a coordinator and coach that made Martini a captain because of what he brings to the field, off the field, and this was the you worst game I've seen him don't, play. You don't throw away yeah. nine months based upon an opening game against Temple. You I mean, just it was, don't. It was the worst game I've seen him play. He had. He was one of Notre Dame's best defensive players against Stanford and Michigan State last year, and he's going to have far better games than he just. But yeah, he he didn't play well. I mean, it's not like people are overreacting. He. He looked tentative, and he didn't look strong when, when he would run into guys. He had a chance to stop the very first drive, fullback on third and two, and he got shoved back. That's not 
That's not what you expect from him. Although they did, I did. Clark Lee did say we need him to uh, be a little stronger at the point of attack in August. He mentioned that that's okay. Cody's strength. Um, maybe the rotation will just be a little heavier than we thought. Maybe that rotation was probably always going to be heavy. We just didn't really think about it as much as the coaches did. Yeah, I mean, that was <laughs> Marti told me that on Wednesday last week that it's kind of three guys for two positions, and Morgan's you know, not as much out, right? That's what I would guess. Just but Coney came in. Yeah, Coney's the one that plays bit. both positions. Coney yeah, plays yeah. both. It's three guys for two spots. If you're, you know, you run eighty plays, I thought maybe. Morgan and Martini would be on the field for 75% of those, and then Coney would take up the other 50%. It was probably shook out that way. I will be uh, tracking those stamps throughout the year, but um, I like Coney and Bilal played a little bit more than I thought, um, but they were both really productive. I And I do think, look, it's if there was a surprise, I was more surprised that Morgan didn't sort of dominate his area um, than anything Martini did or Coney did. Uh, so I think Morgan probably has the most room to improve for me just because some of the stuff we saw in August, he was freaking amazing. Yeah, he was um, completely different at times in scrimmage than what we saw Saturday. Yeah, yeah I think it just we're kind of overdoing this because we talked about it in the first segment. But Martini was, you know, and I wrote about this tale of the tape. You want to be aggressive getting to the fit. But when you get to the fit, you got to be in a position to make a tackle. And I would think that you have to, and, and that's something that Elko emphasizes, and I'm sure they practice it every day, but you really have to get a feel for it in a game situation. So I think I think they're looking at it as, this was a technique. This was a technique problem, yeah. which we work on every day, and we're gonna we'll have that solved by the middle of next week. I will say, just to throw it out there, the couple games I referenced, his best games, it was a third down situation he was always making plays in. Not that he was he was playing plenty of the game, but every time I would look back at games and track games, it would always be, wow, he made a really good play there yeah. on third and eight. Yeah. Wow, he made a really good play there on third and nine. Wow, really good on third and six. Yeah, so I, like when there's not a fullback. Yeah, in so I think that is something to think of going forward. Boy, wouldn't Nick Sharga look good in a Notre Dame uniform? He'd look good in a lot of uniforms. He's a player. Next question this is another combo question. Nerdy eight, nerdy golfer 81 wants to know, what's your confidence level in the passing attack if the running game gets shut down? And Statman72 wonders, despite having a dominating running game with Lessened reliance, lessened reliance on the pass. Wimbush averaged just six yards per attempt. How much do you think that figure needs to increase against better teams? That has to increase, for sure. Um, I do think, you know, they're, they're probably working through a lot of, uh, I don't want to say testing things out, that's the wrong approach, but they wanted to see what, they had plays they wanted to go with, and they probably wanted Wimbush to work on those in that game. Uh, as the game went along, these are some throws we need to, you know, he's got to learn to make some reads he needs to make. Six yards, that won't cut it because for a power-running team, you need more yards per attempt because yeah. it's got to be downfield throws, which I think it will be. Either going to protect him with downfield throws. That sounds strange because it's not an easy throw to throw short nowadays as a quarterback when you have to read something and there's defensive players all over the place. Those yeah. are actually the difficult throws, the throws where you're throwing timing slants and timing outs and things like that. So I think that number will increase, and I don't have confidence if they shut down the running game that the passing game would win against a quality team's gonna have to be the one that shuts them down. So I think he would struggle and it would become, he has to win with Sandlot ability. Yeah. I, I mean, my confidence isn't as high as it was with Kaiser who, who was more adept at, I mean, first of all, full field reads. I'm, I'm sure that Wimbush isn't being asked to do a whole lot of that. So uh, it's a, that's why it's a good question because yeah. yeah, it's a bit of a concern when, when, if, and when, I mean, there are going to be times certainly when the, the ground game bogs down. Next up, Wayne 
Oster Oosterhoff wants to know, how did you assess the play of Jerry Tillery and Jonathan Bonner? I felt they held up pretty well at the point of attack. I, I thought they did too. I thought I saw, you know, I, Tillery's strong enough now to make some penetration. I, I don't think he's still quick enough to be, um, you know, like a, a, that's why he's you playing nose. Quick off the ball. Type yeah, of quick yeah. off the ball. That's why he's playing nose and not three technique because he needs – you need somebody a little bit quicker there. I don't know how much Bonner Bonner is quicker than him, but you know, better improved. Uh, I, again, I thought it was the the best I've seen Bonner play. Although we haven't seen him play as much as he did either, so um, it was progress. But I don't really think that you can make any determination there until we see what happens when they play against quality interior offensive linemen and. Um, Temple likes their freshman, uh, redshirt freshman center, but he's a redshirt freshman center. Yeah, that's the best point. We'll find out more about Tillery against George's line. Uh, Tillery's hustle was great on play. Yeah, all 29, the way downfield. Yard, yeah that, 29 was, yards downfield. He was moving. That was some really good hustle. Um, I want, you know, live, I, I kind of liked what Tillery did. He wasn't finishing plays, but um, Pete and I kind of talked before the game about what Tillery's ceiling might be in terms of tackles for loss, and you were higher on him than I was, and I was kind of watching to see if they were going to happen. There were multiple times where he was right there and somebody else got the tackle for loss and he was holding his gap or he was kind of creasing. And, uh, I, yeah, obviously a big big change coming up this week to see what he looks like against uh, a much bigger offense. The first line. step with him is penetration. Step two, then, is to make the tackle yes, for a loss. Yeah, yeah. So I think that he is in better position to penetrate, certainly hold the point of attack, but change the line of scrimmage a little bit. I think he's better prepared to do that. I thought Bonner was better than I expected, and I thought Tillery was shown uh, a bit of respect by Temple's offensive line with like double teams, and he just then opened something up for somebody else. Right. That was a, that was something I think we talked about in the pregame. That that was a natural thing to do. You're going to double yeah. Tillery. You're not going to double Bonner and make Bonner prove himself. And you know Bonner didn't wreak havoc per se, but I thought you know by and large that those two bottled up the inside pretty well. Next question from Twitter. This is from Brad Stevens, not the guy I went to college with who's coaching the Celtics, and he wants to know what happened with the hype around Miles Boykin. You sure that's not Brad Stevens? Yeah, I'm pretty I sure. Didn't know you, I didn't know you. I didn't know that. I, you did know, I didn't know that. Yeah. Yeah, I had no idea either. <laughs> Nor did I realize that Miles Boykin didn't play <laughs> until, <laughs> uh, until I watched <laughs> Equally surprising. <laughs> until I rewatched the game yeah, yesterday, right. and it's like, where the hell is Miles Boykin? I, You know, uh, Pete and Tim have two different opinions about this. Pete thinks that he's fallen behind EQ and due to the depth chart saying right, that he and, has. and Chase Claypool. Tim suggested maybe tweak something on Thursday. I don't know if we don't, yeah. you know, if we don't ask Brian Kelly about an injury, he's certainly not he's going not to gonna volunteer, volunteer it. Yeah, so what enough. I'm surprised is that nobody in the press corps, especially on our Sunday afternoon uh, phone interview with him, brought up Miles Boykin because we all know that they're, you know, in a 33 point win. It's not like it came down to the wire right, and the guy right. behind Claypool didn't get in. That's what's surprising me. You know, so, I mean, the the fact that if he had played a bit role uh, on Saturday, the question probably wouldn't have been asked at all. It was the fact that we didn't see him at all. Uh, I don't think that Miles Boykin is a frontline receiver per se for them. He is a junior. It's he, time. He's kind of limited in his position. And to clarify, he had a great spring. Hasn't been a whole lot about him written or talked about in August. He had a really good spring. But a lot of guys have really good springs, and that didn't necessarily, not saying he had a bad August, but do you remember writing or talking about Miles Boykin since Culver? Aside from that you have to when, you know, you're writing down. I mean, he made some plays. Yeah. But, I mean, my reaction to this question is I, I don't care. 
Um, because they just they have, but your former roommate does. Yeah, no, I made him your roommate. Now my roommate for sure. Um, there's just there's only so many reps to go around. We've talked about how much more of a positive it is that they're playing two tight ends, sometimes three tight ends, which means they're playing two wide receivers or one wide receiver. You're not going to take EQ off the field. They almost never did. And when they did, Chase Claypool came in, who I think I'm more interested in more reps for Chase Claypool than I am. Where's Miles Boykin? I, um, I, I sure, sure. That. I think we're all on that. Yeah. So it's just like one snap so, is all we're looking for. We wanted to know why he wasn't in for one play. I, just, I, I yeah. <laughs> there, there are receivers who I'm interested in. Why they're not playing? Miles Boykin is not that one. What about Chris Fink? Also, don't care. I mean, it's just like I, I want to see more tight ends, and like that—that's the diversity of the offense. I'm way more curious about Nick Wisher's reps and how productive he okay, is. Okay, let, let me let me and... let me rephrase that. What about Freddie Canteen getting reps over Chris Fink? And I don't look again. We don't see practices, so if Freddie Canteen's starting, I'm sure the coaches see a better player there than Chris Fink. You don't no, care I, about I, that I either. Okay, he doesn't care. <laughs> He doesn't have a if he doesn't have a number if he doesn't have a number if he's not 80, 82, 84, 89, who's the other one? 86. You don't care about any of those. See, you already forgot about yeah. Mac. One yeah. game. Like Brian Kelly said, EQ is way better than everybody else. Reps prove it out. Cam Smith is the solid second guy, and then everybody else is sort of like in one jumbled mess. I think Saturday backed that up. It did, and, and which is why it's a good question. If they have to rely on the passing game, will they be able to come through? We're, we're going to find out oh, yeah. sooner, sooner rather than later. All right, our last Twitter question, this comes from Judy, wants to know, what's the most common game one conclusion fans are making today that you think is actually premature? Um, you mean beyond individuals? Because sure. we've kind of talked about the individuals and Mac. I mean, you know, the good players are going yeah. to still be good players. Probably... Um, you know, maybe we're maybe we're jumping the gun on on red zone and how they're going to handle it. I agree, Tim, with yeah. that. How we would like to see that happen, but you know, that's right. When, how if I want to see it. Yeah, if you're a play caller and it's second and eleven, second and nine, you might feel a little bit differently about it being in that situation. I said, just line them up and move them out. No, I agree. Uh, that's way we what we want isn't necessarily what what's. What should yeah. or what will present there in the red zone? I don't, you know, I'm going to go with the defense. I don't, I don't put much stock into shutting down Temple in the second half with a terrible quarterback. That's that's my, and their number one wide receiver out. I don't. Yeah, I mean, just no, because, I, have, I mean, I don't know that he was. just because Notre Dame was hideous last year on D and they hold Temple to 16 and they have good adjustments to do a good job doesn't mean that D's really good. It just means they're not. So terrible. the greatest overreaction yeah. is thinking that Notre Dame has taken yeah. a significant step forward. Is that what you're right. saying? And they might have. They, I, they might. Not even step forward. Let's let's throw away what, what shouldn't exist last year. If they're a good, I don't know if they're a good defense because of this. So we wouldn't we wouldn't think anything of this. We would think nothing of this if this if they just had a regular old defensive coordinator that got fired last year. It would just be like, well, the good they were better in the second half, and that's what you want. Yeah. Right? Maybe you're right. Well, I. Hmm. We're, we yeah. will, we're, we're going to find out this weekend. I'm not saying that's now, true. I'm, I'm just saying, saying we have no idea. Like, this didn't do anything for me, the, the, the defense. It's just they played a team with a bad quarterback without its leading receiver that lost all of its players, the, and they beat him. At the very least, it's good to see a coordinator make an adjustment at halftime. Oh, no. no there, there's no comparison. <laughs> Trust me to that. I'm not comparing anything. I'm saying I'm comparing to the standard world of football coordinators. <laughs> yeah. I think Notre Dame just played a normal everyday opener on D, and 
they'll hopefully keep improving. Yeah, my answer would be like, hey, guys, do you think, that, does this change your opinion about Notre Dame winning 10 games? Yeah, I, I would. I, ask, ask me on I Sunday mean, morning. Sh- uh, next shame Sunday morning. on Well, shame, I, shame on me if I change my prediction after the first game, regardless of what happens. I can't, and I know what you've said about first games, and I get that, and I and I do believe in in it to a large extent. But you know, it, I'm not going to change my season prediction with a game against Temple. I changed my season prediction in August because I think the attitude of the team and the talent, except for a couple positions, is very good. And because of it, I went to nine wins, and I still think they're a bad program on the road. And then I, they have to prove that to me. I've had them picking beating Georgia for four months. Yeah, they still have well, they still have five true road yeah, games. Right? Still, After I, last I Saturday, they still have five I'm true road I'm glad they games. ran the ball so well. well That's what, if they, what, what if they didn't run the ball well against Temple? Then, would you, then I would have changed my prediction. No, there you go again. Like, what if they lose to Temple? No, well, if I, they hadn't run the ball well against Temple, wouldn't you change your prediction for the season, possibly? If they couldn't run against Temple, that would you, be then you that would be yeah. worthy of. I won't altering. change my opinion if they don't have a great running day against Georgia because I think it's going to be tough sledding. They just got to find a way to pull out a win. Right. Yeah. I think we all feel like Notre Dame did a lot of things that we expected them to do and didn't really blow us away with something that we didn't expect, and that's fine. Did we expect it or did we hope it? Uh, I'm in the expe- expectations business. <laughs> <laughs> I expected. Them well, to I mean, run you want Temple. that you want yeah. them to play well. Yeah, yeah I, but I, I expected them to run against Temple. Didn't yeah. stick with the run against Temple and I didn't think they'd run for 422 yeah. yards. But yeah, I guess it has you know if, yeah, if you had said they're going to run for more than 400 yards, I would have said under. Right. You know what? Look, they did it against UMass. Someone was asking yeah. the question. UMass is not the look. UMass is not as good as Temple. They do not have any of the athletes that should have been on the field against Notre Dame UMass. So that 457 is made up junk. This is a real game where they ran for over 350 yards before the long one by Dexter Williams and that hasn't happened since Lou Holtz. Other than UMass, the end. Right. Right? That's yeah. I mean, that, that's a, that's an actual yeah. thing to do. All right. On the running game, Denver Maximus wants to know, is there a chance Dexter Williams played himself into the number two back after his explosive performance, or is the other part of his game, i.e. pass blocking and receptions, hindering his playing time? What does this guy need to do in order to gain more carries on a consistent basis? Uh, Brian Kelly said Sunday that's partly relying upon game plan matchup kind of thing. Um, although, <laughs> I think Tib and I are in agreement that we'd like to see Dexter Williams get yeah. some early touches just for the the suddenness of his game. Um, I don't, I mean, I don't know. I, I don't know. You know, again, you don't, I mean, Tony Jones has shown to us and the staff time and again that he deserves to be on the field in a lot of ways. He's probably, he's, he's almost undoubtedly a better blocker than Dexter Williams, yeah. right? That's why they have him in two back when they when they have two backs. So, I, you know they're all good backs, but I I want I would like to see Dexter Williams early to see if that suddenness can can alter the game early. Hopefully, I can explain this better than I think I'm going to. But I think they're both number two back. But Tony Jones gets earlier snaps because as Brian Kelly said when we go two backs, he's a weapon as a pass catcher. That is in this question. Is he a, is somebody else a better receiver? Yes, Tony Jones is a better receiver than Dexter Williams. So if you Uh-oh. go two backs, you're going to have Tony Jones as one of the two that automatically gets you some snaps in two back sets that Dexter won't get because right. he has to get it over Josh Will- Josh Adams, not over. Although Tony Dexter Jones. Williams did make a great over the shoulder catch in the end zone yeah. in the last scrimmage that we saw. Um, and then Tony Jones Jr. In terms of put, speaking of putting guys out to pasture after one game, we have never not seen him 
That's the worst. That's the worst yeah. we've He's ever, ever seen Tony yes. Jones. Great timing. <laughs> and why was that? Why was that fumble overruled? The new year. That was a yeah. significant break. I, unless they've altered the rule in some way that I don't know. I think that should have been a fumble. And yes. that was, a, you know, what it was an eighteen-point game there, and that was inside Notre Dame territory. So again, it could have ended a lot differently. Yeah, I think if anything, to answer this question, I would prefer to see some of Brandon Wimbush's carries go to Tony Jones or Dexter yeah, Williams. Yeah, no, I agree with that. Completely. But I certainly wouldn't take any away from Josh Adams. So I think I think they're fine there. That rotation, that that's this is a question that could be asked every week, and you could just like swap in the names of the running backs because somebody's always going to have more and somebody's going to have less, and if they have equal, one guy's going to be more productive than the other. It's not. That's just going to be. I don't be, know uh, that Josh Adams needs to, to average nineteen carries a game. Just a word of warning: five years ago, every single Sunday on the message board, people wondered why in the world the lesser running back theoretic was getting the ball more than right. Sear Wood. You guys want to check out football on Sundays nowadays and see who's still playing and what they're doing out there because <laughs> yeah. that's not pine for the guy that looks good and no, short. and he was yeah. Yeah. the last month of theoretic's college career was he was a man. Yeah, so. Look, they're going to need all three of those guys, and that's that's how college football works. I'll ask this. Statman72, or did you combine that yeah, already? We're going to combine it. Blue chip, man. It seemed that uh, Brandon Wimbush took a significant number of more hits than Kaiser did in a typical game last year. Do you think this was more by design or more of Brandon Wimbush ad-libbing? With no backup experience, this seems to be a recipe for disaster. Well, I, I just really disagree with the, the premise of the question because I thought Deshaun Kaiser was asked to play fullback last year at times when the offense bogged down and they didn't know what the heck they were supposed to do. Of course, do. he weighed about 255 at that yeah. time. But. So Deshaun Kaiser got abused last year enough that Brian Kelly compared him to Cam Newton in the fact in the number of hits he took. Um, he was taking an unhealthy amount of punishment last year. I thought that Brandon Wimbush could have saved himself two or three hits, but I don't think that he took a... It was the fourth quarter. It was many. from the. It was it was right at the middle of the fourth quarter when he started kind of ad libbing and running around and weaving through things that I thought he put himself at risk. I didn't really think of it prior to that. Guys ran all the time last year. Way well, too and, much. He, and he wasn't. You know, he wasn't elusive. He was like a fullback. He was he, cover. He was covering up with two hands and absorbing the hit for the yeah and turning his back to it and stuff for the but, sake of quickness. I mean, two game sets for Kaiser last year: twenty three carries, twenty carries, twenty four carries. 21 carries, 16 carries against the academies. That's probably what he could have run more. And 27 carries in the last two games. I mean, that is yeah, too much. That's a lot. <laughs> right? But, I mean, I get I get where Blue Chip Man's coming from. You don't, you, you don't care I about mean, Kaiser anymore. You yeah. just don't want Wimbush yeah. to get hit. I think Wimbush didn't need to run in the fourth quarter as much as he did. Doesn't yeah. make any sense. One thing that I think he should get a little credit for is, I mean, there was one run where he took off in the open field, and there were like two or three Temple defenders around him, and he just like, I'm just going to fall on my face. That's perfect. Like that's the kind of stuff he needs to do, and I I think that he'll get better and better at that as as the season goes on, and that's that's a good place for him to be. Well, that's it for this week's podcast. Uh, we will be back Thursday to preview Georgia. Uh, talk a little bit more about Jake Fromm starting. Uh, Kirby Smart revealed that during the, our recording here today. Um, so Notre Dame will get a true freshman quarterback making his first career start, uh, obviously on the road in a night game. In Notre Dame Stadium. So that will be kind of fun to parse over to see if uh, Tim O'Malley's walking, breathing quarterback theory may apply moving forward. Uh, I did get some feedback on the press box on Saturday that somebody missed that, but like didn't really miss it, if you know what I mean. 
So until our next podcast on Thursday, Tim Priester, Tim O'Malley, I'm Pete Sampson. Thanks for listening to another edition of Irish Illustrated Insider.